Hello, brothers and sisters, and welcome for another week of the Book of Boredom podcast. I am Brother Paul, and with me, as always, the whore of Babylon herself, Sister Patience. How are you doing, Sister? Oh, uh, you know, just whoring it up with you. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Mr. Stud Muffin. Yes, yes. Still the one and only woman in my harem, but I'm hoping to expand. <laughs> We've got the Facebook page, Book of Boredom. Now, I saw we have a Patreon subscriber, but I'm guessing that that was you. No, that's my girlfriend. Ah, okay. Because I'm going to say you're like paying yourself to be a patron of your own show. That's kind of weird. So there you go. We are now officially a paid podcast. <laughs> so if you were listening and you would like to support the show, go to our Patreon page, Book of Boredom, and give us your money. We can be bought. As always, if you are someone who makes any sort of alcoholic beverage that you'd like me to plug on the show, I am open to sponsors. I'm more than happy to plug your product. Let's get sponsorship dollars rolling in. Yes, Paul would like to get drunk on your spirits. Yes. And I'd like to watch him get drunk. Yes, I want to be high on the spirit. And if I could not pay for it, that would be even better. Because the best drink is a free drink. Now, we actually have a special guest with us. So let's bring her in. Hey, Sister Rosie. How's it going, Brother Paul? I'm good. Now, I was just thinking now, the reason I say this is timely is because currently I'm talking to two women. Both of these women can talk. They have voices. They have opinions. They express things. Which means we are already more feminist friendly than the Book of Mormon. (laughs) Your track record's good so far. There are only six women mentioned by name in the Book of Mormon. Three of them are original Book of Mormon characters. We've got Soraya, Abish, and Isabel. Of those, only two actually have speaking roles. Why am I not surprised? <laughs> when I say they have speaking roles, they say something against their husbands and then their husbands put them in their place. That's kind of the only interaction we have with women in this damn book. And then the other three women mentioned are all biblical women, which is Eve, Sarah, the wife of Abraham, and Mary, the mother of Jesus. Wow, I feel so represented. I know, I know. Soraya has a role in this week's chapter. Let me guess, the dutiful, loyal wife? Yeah, of course. I can't wait, Paul. I'm so excited. Such an inclusive <laughs> religion for everybody, especially straight white men, but occasionally chicks. Chicks who are into straight white men. Yeah, 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 that, that's it. So, we won't even get into the racism facts of the book yet. They come in later. Let's just focus on the sexism thing for now. Talking to you via the Urim and Thummim right now, of course. Where are you calling us from? <laughs> I am in far north Queensland with a almost cyclone currently bearing down on us up in the Atherton Tablelands. It's nice and dark and stormy and if I drop out, I've lost power. I'll be back when everyone gets their shit together. We really want to talk during a tropical storm because that's when God starts kind of sending the lightning bolts down and shit. Oh, fuck God. If during tonight's program you hear a massive explosion, just assume that Rosie has been struck down by God with thunder. We will just continue as planned. If we do get disconnected, feel free to just get drunk without reading the Book of Mormon. It's all good. And we'll talk to you another time. <laughs> you know, you got back up. A girl always needs someone to hold her hair while she's peeking after her, so, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Where's your webcam, Paul? Come on, you had one last week. Yeah, I was on my work laptop last time. This is my desktop one. You don't need to look at me. And you don't need to look at me either. Goodbye. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, but we both need to look at Rosie. Dude, I brushed my hair for this. I'm wearing lipstick. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I told you it was audio only, didn't I? No. <laughs> Women make an effort when they have to be seen, Paul. Yeah, man. Well, okay, if you really want, I can swap over to my work computer then. Yes, please do. All right, okay, just give me a couple of minutes. I'll be right with you. Yeah, All right, hang on. <laughs> Hi. Hey, Paul. All right, you happy now? Oh, what you got there? My favourite old classic beer tonight, the old uh, Tui's Extra Dry. Tui's Extra Dry. What's that Australian beer that they always talk about? Foster's. That's it. The Australian beer that no Australians drink. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what are you drinking? Bacardi and Coke, because I'm bogan, but I'm classy about it. It was like me drinking wine out of my uh, Stella Artois chalice last week. Ah, <laughs> right. Well, you want to get drunk, but you want to feel classy. Yeah, there you go. Well, I'm allergic to grapes and hops. So, rum and vodka it is. You're allergic to grapes? That's for you. Technically, I'm allergic to chocolate too, but you think that's going to stop me? Mm. But I'm done with this life. It'll be a train brownies yeah. and it'll be a great way to go. <laughs> Are you and Robin related? She's my little sister. Right. Yeah, we share a house. We raise our tribe of feral children together. Oh, nice. 
Mm. Robin didn't have the courage to come on and do the show, though. She says that Rosie's much funnier. (laughs) (laughs) She worries that she's not going to be able to keep up with conversation. She'll just sit there and laugh at you guys too much, and then she won't be able to contribute anything. I just told her, get drunk first. You'll be fine. So anyway, Rosie, let's find out a little bit about you. What is your history with Mormonism, and what is your getting out story? I was born and raised in the church. My parents are first-generation golden convert. Patients, a golden convert is someone who meets missionaries and is baptised basically straight away. Mum was pregnant with my older brother, their first child, and within two weeks they had decided the church was for them. They were baptised and that was it. So all four of us were born and raised in the church in Gladstone. Little Branch, the tiny little organisations are an experience all of their own. I was what we call a Molly Mormon. Yes. What's a Molly Mormon? How would you describe a Molly Mormon, Paul? Perfect model Mormon girl. Oh. The girls were Molly Mormons. The boys were Peter Priesthood. So- <laughs> She was the type of girl that your mum wanted you to marry in the temple and have an eternal family with. Yeah, I was marriage material but not date material, put it that way. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) I did the whole shebang. I did primary, I did young women's, I did youth programs, seminary, institute, you name it. I did the whole thing. Now, what are those things? We've got to bring patients up to date with some of the Mormon lingo, I think. So you start with those ones. So these are all of the various auxiliary organisations in the church that are aimed at indoctrinating certain age groups and certain genders. So primaries for kids. You've got the youth program for teenagers, which is split into young men's and young women's. Oh, they start splitting you up then, do they? Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. They have their own level of crazy in each one. And then, of course, when you're a little bit older, you start seminary, which is a 6am scripture study class that anyone from grade 9 to grade 12 has to do and then you go to school. Wow. We would get up every fucking morning at Sparrow's Fart AM <laughs> to go to church, study the scriptures with our other church friends, then we'd go to school. Most nights or something on Mormonism is not just a religion that you say you're a part of and don't do much. Like it's your entire life. Wow. <laughs> yeah, every day. Very well behaved girl. <laughs> I got married in the temple at 19. The temple in Brisbane? Uh, no, in Sydney. There was no temple in Brisbane when I got married. There's one in Brisbane now, which is actually not far from where patients live. Oh, cool. That's got to be fun. <laughs> yeah. So we used to always have to have temple trips where everyone in our ward or branch would get on a bus and would drive to Sydney to go to the temple. Temple trips. Yeah, two days in a bus. Incidentally, my ward always did that in September when my birthday was on. Oh, no. And guess whose birthday got forgotten every fucking year? That's so sad. Little Paul. That's awful. I know. Aw. As if the church didn't take enough away from me, it ruined my fucking birthday during my teenage years. <laughs> no secret birthday drinks. I was like you. I was a perfect little Mormon boy. Wow. Isn't it a bit depressing? I know, I know. When I think of how I wasted my youth. Oh. How long before you started trying to question this stuff? Well, I mean, you always have questions. You are trained from very, very early to just put it to the back of your mind and accept that you don't have the answers. Especially doing seminary, you start to read the scriptures a bit more thoroughly and things like the sexism. I identified as a feminist very early on and copped a lot of crap. <laughs> Women who speak their minds and have opinions. It was a naughty word in my house. No, can't have that. No, bad girl. So, yeah, that sort of thing bothered me. Polygamy bothered me. The temple, oh, my God, don't even talk to me about how psycho the temple was. I never felt comfortable in the temple. I used to pride myself on it. I've been through about eight temples all up. Really? Yeah, in three different countries. And, you know, I went to the MTC in Utah, mm. a couple of temples there, and then I was in Japan, so I went to a couple there. What's MTC stand for? Is that like military training camp? Oh, sorry, missionary training centre. Before you go on a mission, you go to a training centre to learn the language, you do intense missionary study. Something that luckily Rosie didn't have to go through because... I got married instead. Aww. Yeah, I had a couple of kids. Really, really toxic marriage with one of those guys that threw his priesthood around. Oh, is that what they're calling it now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
He was very controlling, very manipulative, sometimes violent and not very nice. So that was difficult because you're not allowed to go to the police. You're not allowed to go for external sources of assistance when you're in trouble. It's that sort of thing. You're taught to talk to your priesthood leaders at church, be patient and forgiving and everything will work out fine. And, of course, the response was awful, just completely dismissive. And That is one of the most fucked up things about it, though, isn't it? Like The bishop is not a counsellor, not trained in any way in matters of psychology, or counselling or anything like that. He's just got the spirit guiding him. He's your local Domino's manager for all you know. Like, the guy's not qualified, but there they are telling you how you should behave, how you should react, what you should be doing. And usually for women in this situation, it's primal. Yeah, forgive your husband, follow his counsel. Part of the marriage sealing covenant, the wife agrees that she will submit to her husband and his leadership. In the ceremony, it describes a woman's role as being a helpmeet for men. That is the exact words they use. So that's how women are viewed in this church. You're not really a person, you're property. Yeah, do what your priesthood leader tells you. Have some babies. I've heard so many horror stories of women who were in abusive relationships and bad relationships that just couldn't get out because nobody would do anything about it other than, oh, you know, the husband will repent and pray and he'll be fine. And keep praying, have faith in God and you'll get your way through it. Exactly. It's a very, very common story for women in very vulnerable situations because we're not educated, we don't have careers. We often don't have many social contacts outside the church itself. So we're left in a really difficult position when you need to get out. Hi. Hi. <laughs> we got a visitor. Yeah, Lily often photobombs us, <laughs> which I think is fantastic. Sorry, Lily always has a bit of crashing with party. She's so cute. Oh, my gosh. I locked my door so my rat bags can't get in. That's the way. Speaking of a girl who's going to be the opposite of the Molly Mormon. I love that. So how long has it been then since you officially got out of the church, Rosie? I really only officially left when I left my ex-husband. So that's been three years. I stopped going a little bit before that and I used my chronic illness as an excuse. But I had some really awful experiences. It wasn't just that. We had a pedophile hiding in our branch who came after one of my kids. And it was a very, very narrow escape from harm. And the way that the local leaders and our district leaders handled that was atrocious. He was continually allowed access to children. He was supported, excused, you name it. But it was 12 months before anyone even asked if my daughter or if I were okay. Yeah. Yeah, it was horrible. And so that was a huge, big problem. And then... I got really, really sick. The whole healing blessings with the priesthood became a huge big problem for me. Constantly moving goalposts, unkept promises, just nonsense. And in the end, I got so sick and tired of it. One day I remember I was at a missionary discussion talking to a family about the church and in my head, I just remember hearing the words, this is crazy. You would have to be insane to believe this shit. And that was it for me. I was done. Once I decided to leave that relationship with my ex, uh, it took four years to get out. And then I stopped going to church when I left him. I remember being told people who leave the church are taking the easy way out. And having gone through it myself, the easy way out would be to stay in the church. Getting out of it takes fucking bravery. You're losing so many families and friends. You're losing pretty much your entire social network. You're walking away from your whole life. That takes fucking guts. Yeah, it's awful. You know, I was losing my marriage and my faith at the same time. So I was grieving that. I went through an ugly, angry phase. It wasn't very nice for anybody. The scary part for me was figuring out who the hell I was. Because for years, I had just been this piece of furniture in that house and at church. It was no different. You're just a woman. You have no voice. You have no say. You have no authority over anything. Your life is in servitude to men, to a male God. Any identity you have as a woman is swallowed up in roles of motherhood, being a wife, all those nurturing kind of things. As a person, you're nothing, you're nobody. So I had to figure out who the hell I was, who the hell I am. Just simple things like what do I enjoy? What do I like to do for fun? What do I like to eat? Which kind of peanut butter do I like? So which is it, crunchy or smooth? Oh, smooth. <laughs> oh, that's it. Get off this show. Go, right now. Seriously, I was only allowed to buy crunchy peanut butter when I was married. That was it. What? One Brand. Oh my god. I never want to eat crunchy peanut butter again. And I really like smooth peanut butter. Yeah. So. I'm a crunchy man, but I can understand how you wouldn't want crunchy over that. Yeah, you look like a crunchy fella. Oh, Paul is so fucking crunchy, let me tell you. That and crunch. One of the biggest things for me when I got out was thinking, what do I stand for now? What do I believe in? What's my moral compass? You've got to reinvent so much of yourself. Yeah, there's a lot to figure out and it can be a big, scary world. And I was dealing with PTSD and depression and anxiety at the same time and 
trying to heal from all of that. It's been a process. It's still ongoing, but I've got to say my mental health, my physical health have improved so much since leaving. Yeah. My stress is down. I don't yell at my kids. Life's pretty awesome. The church tries to scare you and tell you that only good is in the church and everything out in the world is bad and evil and terrible. But the truth is the opposite. Yeah, absolutely. Life is much happier. How have you gone family-wise? You know, it's always difficult when you leave the church. You often get pushed back from family. You've got your sister Robin who lives with you who's not in the church, so you at least have that. She's awesome. But as far as your extended family, have they had much shit thrown your way because of this? Yeah. <laughs> A little bit. Yeah. I've never been the scapegoat in the family. Oh, okay. Uh, so it's my first turn. <laughs> I was that good little obedient Molly Mormon girl, and now I have opinions, and that isn't appreciated. Oh, how dare you? I know, it's disgraceful. Oh, dear. <laughs> so I've been called devil child and been told I'm adopted, that I'm a silly woman, and shit like this from my parents. And don't get me wrong, I love my mum and dad very, very much. Of course you do. But they're hurting too. Yeah. They're losing their vision of this eternal family. Yeah. So it's fine. I have an older brother who I don't have a very close relationship with. He's a state president down south. He said some not very nice things, not remembering that we know some of the same people and it got back to me. And that's been really hard to deal with. But I have another brother who's just amazingly supportive, absolutely saved my life, helped me get out of that relationship, has been nothing but wonderful. He's not judgmental at all, just a beautiful human being. My extended family, who are in the church there aren't many of them who are left in the church but they're nice enough I have an auntie and some cousins and stuff but I, I'm not very close with them what about you your family left around the same time you did my immediate family discovered everything around about the same time so we all kind of got out together that made it a lot easier but I remember I was probably the first one to really start wavering my parents really struggled with that initially funny you mentioned how hard it is on yours and for those listening who don't understand the dynamic is again Mormons are taught that the family is an eternal unit so you'll live forever in heaven with your family Fuck no. Yeah, I hear you, honey. <laughs> Parents, you're also taught if your children leave the church, it's your fault you didn't raise them properly. You weren't righteous enough in the home. So it's hard for parents because in their mind, they're losing this eternal unit. It's like, I'm going to go to heaven and I'm not going to have my daughter with me. And it's also, where did I go wrong as a parent? What didn't I do right? Did I not teach her well enough? Did I not guide her well enough? A whole kind of fucked up, guilt-trip-driven business. Yeah, it's a mess. And look, Mormon families are often incredibly entrenched with their adult children, often in not-so-healthy ways. So it can be very hard for them when you get someone who's gaining their independence and their own sense of self and they no longer want to be parented. And that can cause a little bit of friction too. So, yeah, that's been fun. Yeah, it's funny, actually, as we read through Nephi, you know, we always hear growing up, Nephi and Sam was a good kids yeah. and Layman and Lemuel were the bad kids. It was myself and my oldest brother were the first ones to publicly get out. So my mum and dad for a little while referred to us as Layman and Lemuel. Ouch. They criticised being wicked but all it was is they were exercising rational brains. They're asking questions. Yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, I can take that. But as we read back over this, I'm like, Nephi was actually a real asshole. Yeah, total prick. <laughs> Nephi was revered as one of the heroes of the Book of Mormon especially as young men. We were told, Nephi is someone we need to aspire to be. And I'm like, hang on. All he does is consistently say he's better than everybody else, remind everybody that he's big in stature, constantly talk about his loins and rods. <laughs> Compensating, I think. Nephi was gay, yo. <laughs> constantly talk about how he is chosen, he is the good one, you're all bad. I'm like, the guy's just a prick. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that every apostle you've ever seen speak at General Conference? Yeah, yeah. Apostle. An apostle is one of the big wigs who help run the church. There's 12 of them. There's a massive hierarchical male power structure that runs this entire shit show. And <laughs> the apostles are up there. Wow. But surprisingly enough, they are all old, great white men from Utah. Just about all of them, yeah. There's only one or two, I think, that have snuck through. Was there a, um, a Mexican guy? There might be. Now, I haven't followed it. And an Asian guy. Just after I left the church, there was a German guy called into the 12 apostles who was like, the first non-Utah guy. Oh, Utoff? Yeah, Utoff. We had such hopes for Utoff. The first non-Utah-born apostle. So they went for the whitest thing that they could find that wasn't American. <laughs> It's a prophet and his Gucci gang, basically. I think in the 70, they've thrown in a couple of token Asians or, or African. What does a regular follower have to achieve in order to be elevated to the spot of apostle? 
not be a woman, first of all. Oh. <laughs> so you have to have a penis. I assume that there's some kind of temple ritual confirming. What? We could do a whole episode just on the temple shit. That stuff was fucked up. I mean, I got groped when I did my initiatory, so I'm assuming that that's a normal thing, right? That's so disgusting. <laughs> that's a whole other story, patience. Oh. But you have to be born into the right family. They don't let just any idiot ascend to the higher levels of leadership. Usually these are people who are related to the old stock Mormon families, old pioneer stock. Oh. Most of the ones in leadership still can trace their ancestry back to like what they called the pioneers, who were the ones who after Joseph Smith died, they travelled from Ohio across to Utah, and they're considered like the creme de la creme of Mormonism. Creme de la creme of insanity. The ones in leadership positions are descendants from that Crowd. A lot of money. And then they throw in a few token ones here and there just to make it look like they're being diverse. They try. There is a woman's organisation in the church that we should probably discuss real quickly. Oh, tell me more. <laughs> 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 Sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to bust out into sarcastic laughter. They say women's organisation, but it's presided over by a pe- uh, man. Sorry. What? Yeah. Why? What would he know? It's called the Relief Society, okay? Oh, my God. That's so dumb. Yeah. So, basically, the youth program is segregated most of the time. you got young men's and young women's. You only come together for supervised group activities. Right. Young men got to do all the cool stuff. We got to oh. go camping, whitewater rafting, do all this exciting stuff. The women, it was pretty much just... Oh, hey, hey, I learned how to sew buttons in young women, okay? I'm real good at that. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> hey, at least you learned a skill. I bet the boys didn't learn any shit like that. I still know how to tie a wicked clothes knot, I would have to, you know? <laughs> well done. Is that so you can tie your wife to the bed? Yeah. They should have taught us how to tie a noose. It would have been more fucking efficient. <laughs> The young women's was all based on becoming the best wife and mother possible. So it was all cooking and cleaning and sewing buttons and making clothes. And us guys, we got to do all the fun stuff. Yeah. I remember talking to some of my female friends about it and they're like, why is it you guys get to do all the cool stuff and we get all the boring stuff? I had no answer for it back then either. The assumption is that the women will quietly sit and do as they're told and the boys need something engaging. After young women, they turn 18 and they go into the Relief Society. Relief Society? We used to call it Grief Society. Because <laughs> it's fucking miserable. <laughs> The Church Brags is one of the largest women's organisations in the world. The whole focus on it is how to be the best wife and mother that you can be. Like we once had a, a camp, but you can't just go away with a bunch of adult women and a bunch of teenage girls and just go camping. There has to be a man somewhere there with his wife to run things and to save the day if something goes wrong and to be in charge. And that doesn't change when you get to Relief Society. What did they think was going to happen? Yeah, I don't know what the fucking <laughs> problem is, but there's other stuff. Like we can't just handle a meeting <laughs> we just literally sit there and read out of a manual and then go home like dude we've got this everyday sunday meetings did they have to have a priesthood holder in there as well or was it just the conferences Not on the regular sunday meetings unless there was some kind of business going on and then they'd send a dude in to explain the situation to us poor females any activity any conference any special sort of thing there had to be a male presence yeah so the breakdown of sunday activities in the mormon church segment meeting first which is everybody together and actually patients i I think I got you into a sacrament meeting. Yeah, I think I went to like a standard church service. Yeah, yeah. I got you into there and in exchange I had to go to one of the happy, clappy faith healing sessions you guys were going to at the time. So it was an interesting trade-off. At least your faith healing session is going to be exciting and fun. Do you remember staying awake for the entire sacrament meeting? I struggled week in, week out, I can tell you that. Because it turns off your conscious, rational thinking skills. The set program and the same hymns, that droning. Mormons have this special voice they use when they say prayers or they give talks and that kind of droning tone turns off the conscious part of your brain that's paying attention and asking questions yeah absolutely i was in a lot of churches where prophecy and air quotes would happen they had a certain rhythm to them you gotta sound more authoritative so did you guys have prophesying as well not prophesying so much but there's a way that moments talk when they're getting up on the stand and giving a speech or saying a prayer in public do you remember the voice brothers and sisters i'm grateful that i have the opportunity today to give this talk on the topic of the law of chastity (laughs) Then you read a couple of scriptures or like that. That was just how you opened the podcast. Oh, that's where it comes from. (laughs) That's why I'm opening the podcast that way. Very applicable. Testimony meetings was always the other fun one, okay? The first Sunday of every month, 
instead of having people get up and give talks and sermons, everybody's open to get up on the pulpit and bear their testimony. They're an approved format and manner, mind you. You can't just get up and say whatever you want. What happens if somebody says something that's considered wrong? Like, does that ever happen? We go silent and we wait very tensely for them to get down unless they're getting up there and saying, I'm the new Jesus, in which case somebody in charge will quietly escort them from the stand and usually shut the meeting down. Whoa. But, yeah, it was always, I know the church is true. I know the Book of Mormon is the word of God. I know that Joseph Smith is the prophet. And the current prophet is a prophet. And I love my family. I know without a shadow of doubt, with every fiber of my being, and then you get the people who be like, oh, and I had this experience this week where I lost my car keys and we're running late to get the kids to seminary. So I prayed to God to help and then I found my key. Oh, must be God. Rosalind, you mentioned that you're only just discovering your personality now, like in the last few years. What have you learned about yourself? I'm noxious. <laughs> <laughs> I have opinions. Yay. <laughs> I love to laugh. Yeah. Uh, laughing's not a thing you're allowed to do. Really? Uh, when you're a Mormon woman. Loud laughter is a sin. Really? Loud laughter is a sin? You have to be sober at all times. Oh, my God. With a reverent demeanour at all times. Especially if you're a woman. Men That's are allowed to sucks. make jokes. And are you enjoying the obnoxiousness? Yes. Other people, yeah. not so much. They don't. But I love it. Oh, well. That's okay. <laughs> you know, you can't please everyone. That's right. That's a common thing with people who get out of the church is they all say they finally found themselves. Yeah, you shed that cult personality. That's a lot more fun. The other question I had was, tell us more about these temples. I managed to walk through the one that was built in Brisbane before it was dedicated. I did that walkthrough too. Oh, wow. Hey, we may have run into each other and not known it. Who knows? You would have found me really, really irritating probably back then because I was very molly. Did I take you through? It might have been with you. It would have been after I got back off my mission and we were hanging out and I was once again trying to convert <laughs> yeah. you. And I think I was kind of getting out of Christianity at that point. What did you think of the temple patients when you walked through? Oh, to be honest, eh. <laughs> <laughs> Try not to admit it, but in some respects it looks a little bit like a casino. Yes, I can see how you would think that, definitely. But they're playing with people's lives. <laughs> mm, yeah. I always found that Moroni statue on the top of the thing really annoying. I just wish somebody would take it down. But they have a right to have it there, so whatever. I remember when it was being built at Kangaroo Point, a lot of people objected to it. Really? I didn't know that. <laughs> Yeah, they did. And I had to change the facing on the outside of the building because it was reflecting way too much light and annoying people in their cars. I remember being there the day that they put Moroni up. <gasps> Brisbane's got the Kangaroo Point Cliffs, which is right next to the Brisbane River, and the temple's up on top of that. So we had a whole bunch of us lined up along the cliffs just so that we could watch a crane put a golden statue on top of a roof, basically. And we all thought it was, oh, it's so amazing. Not ostentatious at all. Yeah, yeah, not at all. Main purpose of the temple is to do work for dead people. Those of us who are alive have the opportunity to get baptized and do everything that God wants us to do here, but people who are dead can't. We go there, you do baptisms for dead people, and you do other services in there for dead people, basically. How audacious to assume that it's okay to do that for people. <laughs> yeah, what if they didn't want it, you know? Exactly. For example, the church has done work in the temple for dead historical figures. Hitler, victims of the Holocaust, US presidents. Hitler's work has been done twice, apparently. Well, he probably needed it at least twice, didn't he? Oh, <laughs> Funny thing I keep saying is, according to Mormon doctrine, I am worse than Hitler. Mm -hmm. So the church teaches that when you go to the judgment seat of Christ to decide what heaven you get into, you're judged according to your knowledge on earth at the time. Hitler never had the opportunity to hear about the church when he was alive. I had the fullness of the church and the gospel, and then I left and denied it. The unforgivable sin in Mormonism is to deny Jesus and the Holy Ghost. I remember being told that there are no women in outer darkness, and it's only for the sons of perdition. Oh, yes, 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 that's right, because you have to have the priesthood. Boop, boop. Yeah, so... Oh, damn it. <laughs> I hope you like dick. It's going to be a big sausage fest. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be stuck for eternity in an eternal fucking sausage. Thank you very much. Oh, you'll get used to it, Paul. <sighs> so anyway, <laughs> temple. <laughs> I'm going to tell that experience. There was a lot, but remember I texted you about that one time? That one time at temple camp? <laughs> <laughs> 
back in our time, was you go through the temple either when you're going on a mission or when you're getting married. It's like your first time to go through. Basically, the idea of the temple is you do these eternal covenants with God that are basically meant to prepare you to get into heaven. And so the first thing you go through, which is something called the initiatories. So with the initiatories, they make you put on a smock. No underwear, nothing underneath, just a smock. It's a white poncho called a shield. It's just made of heavy cotton. It just covers your front, your back, your sides are exposed, okay? Your sides are exposed? Yeah, you've got to tuck it, wrap it around yourself so nobody gets an eyeful. No side boob or side dick. Nowadays there's underwear underneath, but when we went through, you were naked underneath that. And then you go into this little room with curtains and these old men say these special prayers dip their fingers in oil and touch various parts of your body, rub the top of your head to your brain, you know, your shoulders to give you strength in your shoulders. But then they'll like wipe the side of your hip and say, you know, giving you strength in your loins. What the fuck does that mean? Fuck well for having children so that you're fruitful and multiply. And so basically you get touched up by an old man with oily fingers. And for me, it was a woman. It's one of the few times women were allowed to do anything without men in there because it was an all-women's change room. But let's just say she didn't grab my hip. Oh, really? <laughs> well, okay. No, some fingers went slippy-dippy. What a rude introduction. <laughs> Keep in mind, I'd never so much as heavy-headed, so this was new. Now, did she know what she was doing? I would assume that it wasn't her first day on the job because she wasn't being supervised. Oh, really? Okay. So it wasn't her first landing strip. I had a full bush. (laughs) (laughs) You can't expose yourself like that to get waxed at a salon. It's either risk tearing all your skin off at home or just go all natural. (laughs) Like swords and burning bushes. Sometimes I think the whole thing is just one big metaphor for STDs. Apparently. Are there a lot of STDs in Mormonism? People are terribly well educated about sex education. So I knew how to not get pregnant. That was it. What? I didn't (laughs) learn that from my family or the leaders who were responsible for having that conversation with me. I learned that from school. So cheers to Lua, class of 99, sex education. There's a very high rate of teenage pregnancy, especially in Utah. And yes, a high rate of STDs. What's soaking? There's all these things for having sex without actually having sex. How much can we do before God says no big smacks go home? Are there a lot of hands involved? Do they get handsy? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, so lots of handy stuff. (laughs) The one that if we put in just the tip, it's not really sex because, you know, it hasn't gone all the way in, it's just around the top. Oh, dear. The new one's soaking. The guy inserts himself and then just leaves it there. You don't thrust or move or anything like that. So it's not sex because you're not orgasming, you're just in there. Not moving. Soaking. But, of course, any guy in that situation long enough is going to fire a load. Yeah, especially if you're hypersexualizing everything. And- they wouldn't need to move around at all. It'd just happen. <laughs> Soaking is basically the guy still gets something out of it, the girl doesn't, except for maybe an STD or a baby. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that guy would still get to go on a mission and that girl would be ostracised. Were you asking for it? Were you wearing the wrong clothing? Did you lead him on? Poor little priesthood boy has been turned astray by this harlot. Yeah, it's horrible. (sighs) Yeah. There's only three roles that women play in the church. The nurturing mother, the faithful convert, and the whore. You get to pick one of those. Pretty much. All right, anyway, should we get into reading this goddamn book after all this talk? All right. Yeah, where are we up to? Uh, we're in First Nephi, chapter 5. Oh, no, not Nephi. Patience, say it. How do we pronounce the name? Nephi. <laughs> now, Sister Rosie, what are your memories of this book? Did you read the whole thing when you were younger? Many times. Oh, really? Okay. Many times? Whoa. I struggled to get through First Nephi. You meant to read it on your own every day, and then when you're married, you read it with your partner every day. You know, I wonder how Mormons actually manage to have so much babies and so much sex, because there's so much praying and scripture reading going on. I don't know how they find time for anything else. Pray before every single time. Oh, you pray before sex? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what a mood killer. I didn't, but I do know couples who did. Can you imagine in the middle of soaking, suddenly going, oh, shit, we haven't read the scriptures yet today, babe. <laughs> Let me just finish and then open the book. Okay. Oh, there must have been an awful lot of uh, bad sex. (laughs) Oh, honey, you and I could have the most enlightening conversation about this. I'm telling you now. To go off on a tangent, there are a lot of Mormons who believe to this day that sex is just for procreation and that is it. And that the female orgasm is a myth. Yeah, yeah. There is no female G-spot. There is no female orgasm. What? 
What? It is purely just to procreate. And that's why I had some friends who had like 15 kids in their family. That poor woman. I was so lucky I only got away with two because my ex wanted more. He wanted to keep going until we got a boy. And I was like, oh, hell no. Pregnancy is shit. Yeah. Aren't you glad you didn't have a boy? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I literally, you have no idea how many times I prayed grateful that I had girls. Yeah. I mean, yeah, okay, after the ultrasound, he wouldn't talk to me for two weeks after he found out the baby was a girl. But what? not having a boy was such a relief Oh, because I was the parent. You know what I mean? Because they were girls. I was the parent there. And again, it shows the Mormon's lack of understandings of genetics because it is actually the male. He's a science teacher who teaches mammalian reproduction. Ah, oh, you fucking kidding Because what he would know then is actually gender is determined by the male, not the female. Yeah. So if a woman has a... a yeah. That's the fucked up thing, like a lot of stuff in the Bible and everything, you know, like, she did not bear me a male child, so off with the head. It's the guy's fault, not the woman's fault. I mean, obviously, you didn't have any women, but did you have a favourite book or story or character in the Book of Mormon growing up? I had no female role models aside from my mother, but I think it was Enos. One of the teeny tiny books, he was really, really sad. I felt for him, because all he said was, I shouldn't have done my duty the way I should, and I'm really miserable about it, and I feel bad. Yeah, yeah, I think it was Enos. It was a great guilt trip for a teenage kid. His whole thing is, I wasn't as righteous as I should have been and I feel bad about it now. I don't know why I really like that little book. That one really struck me as sad and important and because, you know, not everything is joyful and when you fuck up at church, you're miserable because that's what they tell you, of course. Sin makes you miserable. I like Sam too. Sam gets mentioned very rarely, but I thought he was nice because he always stood up for his brother. He pretty much just did whatever Nephi did by the looks of it. Yeah, and on the other side, you look at it and go, what a pussy. (laughs) (laughs) He was a bit of a coward and did whatever his brother told him to do. I've never understood how calling someone a pussy is meant to be like a colloquialism for being weak because pussies are pretty fucking strong things. Yeah, they can take a pounding. Yeah, they take a hell of a pounding, those things. I think it's meant to be short for pusillanimous. Pusillanimous? But nobody actually associates it with that word. They associate it with pussy as in vagina. Oh, I'm going to show my ignorance here. What does pusillanimous mean? It means cowardly. Oh, okay. I thought this might have been some sort of body thing that I didn't know about. Like, I'm pretty good with my anatomy, but wow. I've never heard pusillanimous. (laughs) Yeah, before I fried my brain, I was a word nerd. Because for me, if you were going to liken any part of genitalia with being weak and soft, it would have to be balls. Yeah, man. You touch those things even slightly and double over with pain. Instead of calling someone a pussy when they're awake, you'd be calling them a testy. That works. Well, men get testy. Yeah. <laughs> Sam was a testy. He was a total testy, <laughs> that guy. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right, total test. Total testy. All right, well, on that note, then let's break our testies out and get into the first Nephi <laughs> chapter five. Got your testicles ready, patience? Oh, right here. <laughs> Paul loves talking about my bosoms. Really? Don't flatter yourself. I like talking about orbosom. They are pretty good, right? Boobs are awesome. Yes, I am glad we're doing this as a video call now. Nephi spends all of his time talking about loins. I'm like, how about bosoms? Let's talk about bosoms for a while. I have my old seminary, Book of Mormon, held together with sticky tape. Oh, look at that. Wow. Oh, you've got the actual physical copy. I kept all my sets. It's highlighted. Look at that. Oh, there we go. The people listening at home can't see this, obviously. But, yeah, that was the classic thing. We'd always highlight sections that stood out to us. But then at some stage, each verse stands out to you. So everyone just had, like, these multicoloured highlighted books. That's my reading chart. <laughs> Here is my quick reference in case I've had any investigator inquiries. Investigator inquiry? What does that mean? So just say I'm a missionary patient, I knock on your door and you decide to come to church and hear the missionary lessons, that would make you an investigator. Oh. I had a um, flip chart ready to go with references on how to answer their questions. Oh, very diligent. Did you ever write your testimony in the front of a Book of Mormon to hand out? Of course I did. I was a missionary. (laughs) I did. It was especially hard because I was in Japan and learning Japanese. Early on in my mission, I specifically took time every day to sit down and teach myself how to translate it into Japanese so I could write it into all these books. I also have with me this fake leather-bound book of woman I got when I was baptised at eight. Oh. And this beauty 
This is my teaching set for when I was a Sunday school teacher. Whoa! Ah, that's what we were talking about a week or two ago, patients, the quad. The quad? Okay, so Bible, Book of Mormon, Doctrine, Covenants, Pearl, Great Price, all in one. Wow. Pick it up again, show us the tabs. You see them? Mouse holes, they're called. Oh, mouse holes. There's an abbreviation of each book title, so you can flip immediately to whatever it is you're looking for. And have you got the clean, whitewashed, updated version or do you have an older PDF with all the weird shit in it? Well, actually, the one I've got resembles what I read. So I think it's the old version. The patience, I think, has got the new version. Every few years, a few words change here and there. Just because the most perfect and correct book on the world needs to be a little bit more perfect and correct. <laughs> well, like the introduction, is, as we discussed, I think, in episode one, is the original version that we had, you know, describes the Nephites as being the descendants of Israel, whereas now that's been changed to they are among the descendants. Because of Simon Southerton's... Losing Lost Tribe. I'm about halfway through it. Awesome book, awesome. I have to look a lot of the words up in the dictionary, but I'm getting there. Sorry, Simon. Simon's actually a friend of mine. He was my bishop for a while, actually, before he left the church. And We have some mutual relations, actually. Me and Simon have relatives who've married each other. Something you learn in the church, and then, of course, when you get out of it, everybody sort of has some connection, everybody somehow. It's an entirely tiny world. A lot of families are related and intermarried, and everybody knows everybody. First Nephi, chapter 5. And it came to pass that after we had come down into the wilderness unto our father, behold, he was filled with joy. And also my mother, Sariah, was exceedingly glad, but she truly had mourned because of us, for she had supposed that we had perished in the wilderness. And she also had complained against my father. Oh, I bet she had. Telling him that he was a visionary man, say, Behold, thou hast led us forth from the land of our inheritance, and my sons are no more, and we perish in the wilderness. Well, she's kind of worried that her husband has just sent their children off to be killed, basically, which is understandable. Yeah, of course she is. Her children could be dead. She's hysterical. She doesn't have a legitimate reason to be upset. <laughs> But also, he was a visionary man. It's almost like he's just off in his own little world. He's not contributing to the family anymore. He's Something comes from this visionary man thing, which I want to circle back to in terms of what I was taught as a young husband. All right. And after this manner of language, had my mother complained against my father. And it had come to pass that my father spake unto her, saying, I know that I am a visionary man, for if I had not seen the things of God in a vision, I should not have known the goodness of God, but then tarried at Jerusalem and had perished with my brethren. As I was preparing to get married, I went to this thing called the Temple Marriage Preparation Class, and they bring those couple of verses in. I, I don't know, Rosie, whether you heard this or not, but jump in if you did. Dreyer is saying, you're a visionary man, you send our children off to die. She's all hysterical. But then his response to her calling him a visionary man is to say, yes, I am a visionary man. And the spin that was put on that when I went through my marriage preparation class was what he's saying is, yes, dear. She has just ripped into him and his response is, yes, dear. Okay, and humour and deflect. I don't think she sounds hysterical. She just sounds like a man is being a dick. Just makes you want to pop a dude in the throat, right, patients? Like, just... <laughs> They basically wanted us to be condescending and be like, oh, yes, dear, yes, uh, you know, yeah, what you're saying is absolutely right, love, uh, yeah, 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 exactly, yeah, yes, I, I hear you, I know what you're saying, yes, dear, that's fine, but here's where you're wrong. Yeah. Fuckers. And, but that is literally like, <laughs> but quite literally, that would be taught to us as in, you know, a good example of how to handle a marital argument. Well, it seems to shut her up at any rate. She definitely doesn't say much after this. Good God. What a way to start a marriage. <laughs> so Lehi and Soraya right there. There is your key to a happy marriage, everyone. If you are struggling with your marriage, your relationship, that is how you deal with it. It's a rare gem. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, yes. Let, let's just enjoy the fact that we're reading the Book of Mormon right now and a woman is speaking. We're meant to buy a gong or something so we can be like, woman talking. Dum. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> because it's going to be so long before it happens again, I'll have plenty of time to buy the gong for next time. Verse 5. But behold. Please continue with verse 5. 
feel like I'm in seminary again. Sister <laughs> Patience, can you please now continue with verse 5? Verse 5? Do you remember the goddamn tone of voice? Oh, I like the tone. Oh. Rosie's getting the burning in her bosom right now. Can you see it? If you want to interject with swearing or blasphemy, please do. Say Nessie again. Nessie. <laughs> I like her version better than mine. We might have to get a sample of that. Yeah. Ooh, my loins are being very good enough at the moment. You just keep your loins to yourself, young man. None of that burning, itching nonsense over here. <laughs> <laughs> but behold, I have obtained a land of promise, in the which things I do rejoice, yea, and I know that the Lord will deliver my sons out of the hands of Laban. Not his daughters, though. He doesn't have any of those, apparently. If he has daughters, they're never mentioned. No. And bring them down again unto us in the wilderness. Now, that sentence, I have a problem with that because it says, in the which things I do rejoice. In the which things? What does that mean? It's incredibly clunky. I think Joseph Smith was trying to sound mystical and intelligent when he was talking about visions. And this is the first time they mentioned the land of promise, actually. And in doing so, fucked it up. Yeah, absolutely. Now, is this a different promised land from Israel? Yes. Yes. So the promised land in the Book of Mormon is America. Of course. Because <laughs> America's so wonderful. <laughs> Spoiler alert. They're going to go to America. And after this manner of language did my father, Lehi, comfort my mother, Sariah, concerning us while we journeyed in the wilderness up to the land of Jerusalem to obtain the record of the Jews. Hang on. He comforted? I'm sure she was fairly comforted. <laughs> Imagine for a minute we're a cup. You've expressed some concerns to me. And I've just said, yes, I hear your concerns, but you're wrong. And this is what God is telling me is going to happen. Are you confident? Yes. <laughs> I'm going to tell you to fuck off, Paul. <laughs> and it came to pass that Sriah didn't say, fuck us, me off, Lehi. And that would end the book right there, wouldn't it? <laughs> I'm going home to my mother's house. I'm taking Sam with me. Yeah, I'm taking the kids. Take your brush. Wait. You can take your sword and you can fuck off. <laughs> I love it. Maybe that's why I'm divorced. <laughs> okay. So we've established the Lehi method of communicating with the spouse. Not effective. Not terribly, no. Lehi, also a verb. It's <laughs> when you divorce someone. I just Lehi'd my partner. This has got to start making sense at some point, so let's keep moving. You're very optimistic, Paul. I like that. <laughs> well, we read this so many times, it has to make sense at some point, doesn't it? I think you convince yourself of an awful lot of things when your total eternal happiness depends on it. I know, I know. The number of times I just kept saying to myself, yeah, one day it'll make sense. The Lord works in mysterious ways and sentence structures. First aid, okay, this is again another classic betrayal of Mormon. Does she have to eat crow now? Get yourselves ready. <laughs> Here we go. And when we had returned to the tent of my father, behold, their joy was full and my mother was comforted. <laughs> I bet she didn't come. <laughs> I think she could pretty well be assured not one of these women ever did. <laughs> and she spake, saying, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath commanded my husband to flee into the wilderness. Yea, and I also know of a surety that the Lord hath protected my sons. What about your daughters? And delivered them out of the hands of Laban and given them power, whereby they could accomplish the thing which the Lord hath commanded them. And after this manner of language did she speak. In short, what we learn from that verse is the man was right. Aren't they always though? For Mormon, the man is always right. Is mansplaining particularly rampant in Mormonism? This is the original mansplain. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> they literally teach it as the pattern of resolving arguments in your marriage. So, yeah, mansplaining's a fucking problem. This is where it started. Sorry, I have feelings about this and opinions. It shits me. Bible or Book of Mormon, how many times has God talked about his daughters? 
His anointed and his prophets are always men. His leaders are always men. His only begotten child was a man. Oh, he finds his daughters very inconvenient. I think Judaism does a little bit better. I mean, I know they're still patriarchic, but have you heard that story in the Old Testament where that kick-ass woman hammers a tent peg through that bad guy's head? That's cool. She's considered one of the judges, I think. Oh, I don't remember that one. I know Lilith is considered a demonic figure yeah. in some parts of Judaism, but shit, I love that. Yes. <laughs> Just like... If I can have a patron saint, give me Lilith. <laughs> well, you're allowed to. Bitches get shit done. Women get it done. And it came to pass that they did rejoice exceedingly and did offer sacrifice and burnt offerings unto the Lord. And they gave thanks unto the God of Israel. And after they had given thanks unto the God of Israel, my father Lehi took the records which were engraven upon the plates of brass and he did search them from the beginning (laughs) that must have taken a while and he beheld that they did contain the five books of moses which gave an account of the creation of the world and also of adam and eve who were our first parents and also a record of the jews from the beginning even down to the commencement of the reign of zedekiah king of judah and also the prophecies of the holy prophets from the beginning and down to the commencement of the reign of zedekiah and also many prophecies which have been spoken by the mouth of jeremiah and it came to pass that my father Lehi also found upon the plates of brass a genealogy, oh fancy that, of his fathers. Wherefore he knew that he was a descendant of Joseph, yea, even that Joseph who was the son of Jacob, who was sold into Egypt and who was preserved by the hand of the Lord, that he might preserve his father Jacob and all his household from perishing with famine. So here's something I don't get, okay? Lehi had these plates in his house nearly his whole life. They left Jerusalem to go to the wilderness, left them behind, and then Laban took them. He sends Nephi back. Nephi kills Laban to get these plates and bring them back. And then Lehi thinks, I might finally read these things now. You mean to tell me he did not read these things that he had in his possession his entire life until after his son killed somebody for him? <laughs> they weren't important until he was in the wilderness. Dick moves! He should have known all this shit already. And they were also led out of captivity and out of the land of Egypt by that same God who had preserved them. And thus my father Lehi did discover the genealogy of his fathers. Yes, we've already established that. And Laban also was a descendant of Joseph. Wherefore, he and his fathers had kept the records. He had just said that. He just said it twice while he's chipping out on metal plates. Verse 17. When my father saw all these things, he was filled with the spirit and began to prophesy concerning his seed. Oh, I bet he loves talking about his seed. That these plates of brass should go forth under all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people who were of his seed. Wherefore, he said that these plates of brass should never perish, neither should they be dimmed anymore by time and he prophesied many things concerning his seed and it came to pass that thus far i and my father had kept the commandments wherewith the lord had commanded us that's a really convoluted way of saying that and we had obtained the records which the lord had commanded us and searched them and found that they were desirable yea even of great worth unto us insomuch that we could preserve the commandments of the Lord unto our children. Wherefore, it was wisdom in the Lord that we should carry them with us as we journeyed in the wilderness towards the land of promise. The end of chapter 5. Well, Rosie, this has been awesome. It's been I'm glad we had you on first, Jed. This has been brilliant. We've both enjoyed this, haven't we, Patience? Yeah, we couldn't have had a better first guest. Thank you so much. And it's been lovely to meet you. Yeah, yeah, very fun. Oh, that's wonderful. I've had so much fun. Yeah, and we will definitely get you on again too. So. Yeah, anytime. Patience, after all we've discussed tonight, have you learned anything? I've learned a lot about Mormonism and how horrific it is. <laughs> nothing. You've learned nothing. 
Sister Rosie, do you have any closing words? This was an absolute delight. Best seminary lesson ever. All right, well, everyone listening at home, thank you for staying with us all this time. Uh, once again, we've got the Facebook page, Book of Boredom. We've got the Patreon page if you want to give us some money. <laughs> As always, my eternal concubine, Sister Patience. Love your work. This has been the Book of Boredom podcast. I'm Brother Paul, and until next week, everybody, look after yourselves, and amen. 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 Amen.